Welcome to Women Investing and Women and Girls. I'm your host, Michelle Jaffe, and we are so excited to welcome our guest today on the show, Arlen Hamilton, who is the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital. Arlen, it's great to have you with us today. How are you? Thank you for having me. Um, I'm good. I'm doing good. How are you? Great. Thank you. Your story is very inspiring, Arlen. And so just to kick off our conversation, could you please tell us more about yourself and specifically prior to creating Backstage Capital? Sure. Um, do you want me to go to the womb or do you want me to go? So I grew up in Dallas, Texas and um, early 20s moved to Southern California to uh, start a, um, a print magazine and um, then went on to I did that for a few years, um, and it was was bootstrapped, so it was like a really, um, you know, challenging time, but really rewar- rewarding at the same time. And then I went on to be a production assistant for reality television, and um, ended up <laughs> uh, working in the live music touring business, where I um, became a, a production coordinator and tour manager. On, on um, a production coordinator for pretty pretty um, well known artists that were doing arena level uh, tours, and did that for a few years, and then um, and around 2012 started getting into um, helping and working with startups on a very indie level. I'm curious though, what drew you specifically to the venture capital investing space? It seems. Um, from the different careers that you've had, your background and your background, you didn't follow the traditional path of working up from analyst to then creating your own fund. Yeah, it definitely wasn't traditional. Um, um, so in 2012 is when I really started getting curious about startups and Silicon Valley itself. And I had the reason I was curious is because I saw um, some people from the music and television world. Uh, investing, so both in front of the camera, like Ellen and Ashton Kutcher, and behind the camp, uh, behind the scenes, like Troy Carter, who used to be Lady Gaga's tour manager. I'm sorry, he used to be Troy Carter, who used to be Lady Gaga's manager, um, and Guy Siri, who is Madonna and U2's manager, who I had been following for a while, just because <clears throat> I loved, um, I, I loved, you know. Anything music and anything live music, I was kind of plugged into. So when I started seeing people from that world investing, making these small investments in these two and three people um, sized companies in this place called Silicon Valley, I just got really curious as to why they were doing that and what was drawing them to something other than this magical uh, place that I thought, you know, that I found in, in live music. <clears throat> so, um, you know, a few months of research and and reading and 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 getting to know uh, about different companies, I got it. You know, almost immediately understood that it was the new frontier, and that it was really exciting. And if you were getting in, if you were getting in then, um, or you know, over the next few years, you were going to be part of something that was history making. And it also felt also felt very um, I also felt like I had a kinship with founders because I'd always thought of myself as an entrepreneur, but I just, 
always felt like I was kind of an outsider in that I didn't have many people around me that that would take the risks that I would take or um, <clears throat> choose choose make the decisions I would make. And I came to learn that that was more of a, a founder type of mentality rather than um, um, than not. So that was really fun to to figure out to find my tribe. As I like to say, or find the planet <laughs> that I was born. Um, so I just started reaching out to different different companies that I found online. I was in Texas at the time in Houston, and um, I was off the I was on and off the road at this point because um, you know touring is not a full time gig if you're in production ever. Um, so I was on and off the road, but I you know I would kind of. I would get all these books or I'd read out, read all these blogs and watch video and, and reach out to different companies and just surround myself as much as I could remotely to what was going on. And at this point it was mostly companies that were, that were in um, Silicon Valley area or, um, <clears throat> you know, hotbeds around the country. But then that turned into, then I started meeting, you know, talking to people that were in, Atlanta and Texas and and Detroit and so on. Right. Well, what I think is so important about your path is that you identified how intriguing the investing world is. But as many of us know, it's not always the most representative, fair and diverse um, industry to be in. Uh, And what a lot of your work is focused on is how to close that gap and how female minority and LGBTQ entrepreneurs are able to seek funding for further background, can you explain to our listeners um, a bit about how large the gap is in female minority and LGBTQ entrepreneurs receiving investment? Sure, and it has been a while since I, I actually, you know, studied that, so I, I don't know if I know the the latest. Um, but when I was starting to to put together the idea for backstage capital and the fund, you know, the statistics that I had seen were from 2012 and to 2014, where uh, I think it was 92% of all venture funding went to white males. Um, wow. And, you know, you you couldn't, I mean, when it came to women, so women, I, I forgot what the number was, but that was the next largest number. And then <clears throat> when it came to any sort of intersection, then you really started getting, you know, really low numbers. Um, and I also think that, um, if I remember correctly, there are only 11 black women who were funded at all um, during those years out of 10,000 venture deals or venture rounds. So 11. So it doesn't even, you know, make a mark on the, on the scale there. Um, and so one of the things I thought was, you know, I, we were investing in underrepresented founders. Uh, in our case, that's women, people of color, LGBT. Um, so I looked at those numbers and I said, okay, if, if only 11 black women were funded in these three years out of 10,000 deals, I want to invest in, in that many myself in one year. Like that was kind of the, the idea that mm-hmm. kind of kicked it off, which is like, I want to, I guess it didn't kick it off because it was, it ha- that that number came out later, but it was that thing that really you know, motivated me to, to, that this was needed. And it let me know that this was really needed when those stats came out. You know, I think an important idea to extract from this, it seems that this is clearly a massive issue 
that affects so many different industries, but we need to be aware of how large this problem truly is. And you were able to articulate this in a profound article titled Dear White Venture Capitalists. So Arlen, can you explain what motivated you to write this article? Um, and then second, um, once the article is published, what the feedback has been like? Right. Yeah. So I wrote that Dear White Venture Capitalists, and in uh, parentheses, um, if you're reading this, it's almost too late. So first of all, the title was a kind of a combination of the time. This is last summer, 2015, summer of 2015. And two things had happened. One is that the movie Dear White People had just come out or had been out and was a, a title that I was thinking about. And um, Drake had dropped an album and said, if you're reading this, it's too late. So I was just combining that with the, with the two titles. Um <clears throat> And what really motivated it was that I had now, after you know years of remotely working on on this idea from Texas, I had was now in you know I was in Silicon Valley, San Francisco area for several months, and um, I had attended an um, an investor course from 500 startups that was held at Stanford. And it was a two-week program. It was the pilot course, and um, you know, Dave McClure and and Stanford professors um, would uh, you know were were teaching this course, and it was really amazing. It was really awesome. And so I just stayed. Once I got there, I got myself there, and I just stayed, um, mostly just because you know to to take advantage of the meetings and things that I could do there. I got to this this course. And then shortly after, uh, 500 Startups had a their their um, pre-money conference that they have every year. So I attended that, and it was a great conference. And the, I think the very last panel of the whole day um, was called Black is the New Black. And so, of course, I went to it, wanted to check it out. And it was an amazing panel with people that now are friends of mine, um, you know, I think it had I think it had Charles Hudson and Hamei Watt and um, and Deshaun from from Maven and a couple other people. And I thought, in my opinion, it was the best panel of the day. And this was, you know, a high standard here. It was great, great uh, interviews. So what I noticed though during that panel was like the whole panel was about di- exactly what I'm talking about now is about, you know, how diversity is lucrative. Um, and it, it, there's, a, there's something missing and there's a blind spot, et cetera. And what I noticed from the crowd was that everyone seemed to be sort of like everyone, mostly it was a mostly white crowd and everyone seemed to be shifting in their seats and mm-hmm. kind of uncomfortable and kind of looking at this panel which was very honest and very, you know, um, in my opinion, very helpful to these investors in the audience. Um, they seemed to be very uncomfortable as if they were witnessing something that they shouldn't be privy to, as if they had, you know, this, this is not their cause or this is not for them. And instead of being like, wow, I'm, I'm getting some interesting information here. I can use this in my own thinking. So that the very next day, I wrote this um, 
I started writing this this piece. One of the things you said in the article, um, I'm not sure if this is a phrase that only of you use. I'm, I might have heard it from somewhere before as well. But the idea that in, that investing in, in underrepresented founders is not charity. Um, it's not a social impact cause in itself. Can you explain the statement further for us? Yeah, um, a lot of that has to do, I mean, other people have said it too. It's not like I I came up with that, but, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Dave McClure said it and Deshaun said it that day. Um, Many people have said it now. But personally, that, me me talking about that was kind of a personal thing where, you know, when I was five years old, I was obsessed with Monopoly. I loved playing Monopoly. I would go around and beg people to play Monopoly with me. I, Richard Branson has been a hero of mine since I was 13 years old. I've always been very motivated to, um, be successful and, and so I was just looking at this, like, uh, you know, kind of practically, like this is investing in people of color when very few other investors are already doing that actively looking for the best and the brightest and, and some, you know, niche, I guess. Um, um, it's just common sense to me. It just made, it just made all the sense in the world. If, if, if someone is missing, if the majority of the venture class as an asset class is completely missing out on this and you can see it, and you can somehow make yourself valuable and accessible to founders who who aren't being looked at by other people. You simply have an advantage, or would have an advantage if you did that. So, I mean, it it really didn't come from um, much more than that. Like you said, it makes financial sense. Truly, it makes common sense for investors to do what their role entails, which is to find good entrepreneurs that are seeking capital for good ideas. What was important is that um, was articulated in a way that the article was written. You created your own fund to backstage capital. So let's shift the conversation more towards that. Um, so first, what motivated you to create backstage capital, and why create your own fund? You know, I didn't set out to become a venture capitalist. That's that's for sure. Um, and but the the issue was that I didn't have my own angel money. So if I had my own money um, to do this, I would be doing the exact same thing. I wouldn't be investing in the exact same place uh, if if it were my own. So I didn't have my own angel money to do this myself. I did talk to a lot of funds. Um, over, you know, a couple of years time about coming in, you know, answering phones, um, um, you know, being someone's apprentice. Uh, I think I, I, I kind of presented that for a lot of different funds and, you know, for venture capital itself, like the, the industry is like super, super competitive because you have these hundreds of people that are coming out with MBAs, coming out of school with MBAs and only a couple of gigs, you know, every month. Um, so it's it's just um, competitive on its own, and then you throw that in, and it's someone who's just so far outside what they're used to seeing, um, it just it didn't happen. And then once I got more attention, and 
uh, people were coming to me like after after the blog post and people were coming to me and saying, okay, now it's a new day. Now we do want you. Um, they were they were not offering any sort of position that would allow me to write checks or have or even have any sort of say in where they wrote checks. It was it was mostly just a um, figurehead type position. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think they were doing out of malice. I just think that they didn't get it completely. So I said, well, if I'm going to have any sort of impact, the type of impact that I want to have and really make something happen, like we, we're all talking about it. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's tweeting about it and writing about it. And we're all getting, a, you know, getting a um, uh, gathering for conferences about it. But where are the checks? Where are the checks that are being written to black women and to Latinos and to, you know, just women in general? Like, why is it so hard for a woman to um, to convince a room full of male VCs that, you know, it's it's smart business to to uh, have women as your target market? These things just kind of haunted me, these questions. And I thought, well. I've tried, you know, two or three different major ways to make this happen. It looks like I'm going to need to go out and raise my own fund if I want a check written to to the people that I'm talking to. So that's what I did. And, um, you know, it's a very small fund. It's not like I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not Sequoia over here, but we're... <laughs> I think it's steps, right? So there's there's different steps to first have to break in, uh, and in my case, moonwalk in, uh, spin, um, and then and then there's more, you know. Absolutely. Well, Arlen, we have so much more to talk about um, with you about backstage capital. Again, your story is so rich and so intriguing. But we are going to go ahead and go to a break once again, Arlen. It's been Amazing to be able to talk to you today. Once again, the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Well, Arlen, we have so much more to talk about with Backstage Capital. Your story is so rich and inspiring. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'd like to invite our listeners to connect with us by going to facebook.com slash womeninvesting or follow us on Twitter with the handle at womeninvesting. Thank you to everyone who is listening in today. You have been listening to Women Investing in Women and Girls. This show is produced by the State of Women Radio Network, the first radio network for women and girls. If you are a premium subscriber to the State of Women Radio Network, stay tuned. But for now, I'm your host, Michelle Jaffe. Until next time.